Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR. Your host, David Gill, here. I hope everybody is having a fantastic week. As always, I certainly am. You know what's riskier than doing handshake deals in China, which we're going to talk a little bit about today? Uh, The New York Knicks betting their entire franchise's future on a handshake deal with Kevin Durant, one of the flakiest and indecisive players in the NBA. Uh, Anyways, just had to comment on that real quick for all my NBA fans that that listen to this podcast. This is is not an NBA podcast, but I... uh, it was it was like five o'clock, uh, local time, Phoenix Mountain time. We rocked the Mountain Standard. We're unique here in Phoenix, but it was like five o'clock. I was getting ready to do the podcast and uh, pull out my phone, check Twitter. I wanted to see, you know, just in case there's any big, you know, tech or business stories that I might need to cover uh, on the show. And I just see that the Knicks traded Kristaps Porzingis for basically nothing for to get rid of salaries so that they could make space for Kevin Durant which we don't know if he's actually coming because it's kind of a handshake backdoor deal they can't sign any contracts so anyways I kind of wanted to relate that a little bit to doing handshake deals in China which we're going to talk about anyways that's that's it for my NBA talk I just had to discuss that big risks being taken in New York uh New York and Nick fans and listen I'm a Suns fan I don't have much of a leg to stand on but uh, I'll, you'll, my thoughts and prayers will be with Knicks fans uh, today and just through the weekend. Anyways, let's talk about uh, selling in China and opening business in China and India, kind of what it takes. We get a lot of uh, requests from both clients and listeners asking, you know, how do we open up business in other countries, especially India and China, because obviously they are growing very quickly. You know, it sounds very good that, yeah, yeah, you should go and try to open up shop there because there's a lot of opportunity. But what are the things that you need to know to actually do business in these countries is a big question. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, you know, because everybody from, you know, big companies like Apple and Ford and GE and whoever, uh, all the way down to small and mid-sized businesses are... Uh, People who are trying to figure out a way to establish themselves in India and China. And I've talked a lot about, especially India, that the growth has just been astronomical and is continuing. You know, China's growth is slowing a bit now, but that's because the market is more mature and they're more developed now, which means their people are wealthier than ever. So there's definitely opportunity there, uh, but the growth is slowing, but obviously because they're richer now. India is at the point where China was maybe say 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, they're about to see massive growth as their population gets wealthier and more foreign companies move in and bring their money with them. Uh, and there's just massive opportunity in both countries. So I want to discuss it and see how uh, businesses from the U.S. and from Europe could take advantage of selling in Asia, in particular India and China. You know, Both countries have a middle class of over 1 billion people combined between the two countries so that's that's a massive opportunity and that's something that 
if you don't take advantage of, you could be missing out on massive riches over the next 10 years. So let's get into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. The first topic I want to discuss, because obviously this is one of the, the big ones, the big most common questions, is what are the language barriers? Obviously, uh, English is not the uh, native language of either India nor China. So let's talk about India first. India has many different languages in different regions. So this can be very hard to keep track. India has a lot of different, like, I guess you could call them states. And in these states, almost all of them have different languages. I believe they have over 30, actually. This is both good and bad, because on the bad side, obviously, it's impossible for a foreigner to keep track of all of these different languages and all these different geographies and to, you know, have to hire translators in all these places. But the good news is because they have this disbanded language situation, many, many, many Indians learn to speak English to suit themselves so that when they cross state borders and work with international companies, they're able to communicate effectively. So many, many, many people in India speak English. So that's the good thing that, yeah, it's difficult uh, on the local level because they have so many different languages. It's kind of like in the U.S. If you go from California to Nevada or from Alabama to Florida or whatever, and all of a sudden there's different languages, that would be pretty uh, confusing. But in this case, it's kind of to the benefit because it means that more Indians have been not forced but incentivized to learn English because it's they're better off that way. So in India... You should be able to get away with mostly English if you're dealing with the business community. That's the good news. China is different. Obviously, China has one major language. It's Mandarin. Um, so there's less confusion about what language to know. Obviously, there's not 30 whatever languages like India. However, fewer people in China know English. Companies who do business internationally in China speak English, Chinese companies, uh, like manufacturers, right, all these factories, and finance workers that work a lot with uh, uh, basically banks and other financial institutions outside of China. Those people speak English, obviously, because they have to. But those who don't have to deal with foreign companies very often, a lot of the local companies, often they don't speak English. And many small and medium-sized businesses in China don't have any English speakers on their staff. So this means depending on who and where you are doing business in China, uh, you may need to hire a Mandarin translator. But the good news is for both countries is that in China and India, labor is much cheaper than in the Western world. So you know if you have to hire a translator, it can be done for pretty cheap. You're not going to have to spend too much money on uh, hiring someone to translate for you. That's the good news. Okay, let's talk about regulation and government because that's kind of the elephant in the room that's the biggest deal so first let's talk about china uh obviously again the elephant in the room is well they're a ruled by a communist totalitarian government that is very protectionist of its own people um, and not to mention obviously with the political climate between especially the u.s and china the ease of setting up new business in china is now harder because of the trade war. Not only that, but you know, there's a few important things that you need to know when you're doing business in China if you're able to get in. So, 
first of all, and this is what I was alluding to with my uh, basketball talk earlier, but contracts don't mean much in China. Uh, you will have a very difficult time enforcing contracts in China, and they often leave contracts intentionally vague and open for negotiation as compared to say in the US and I'm sure in Europe as well where when you make a contract it's pretty ironclad set in stone you want to follow everything that goes in that contract uh, so that if it does go to court that you can basically point back to this document that the two parties agreed upon when you're working with Chinese business partners they don't want to strictly abide by any contract and the Chinese judicial system is not going to be that friendly to foreigners. They don't care very much about you. That's just the honest truth. So when you're doing business in China, a lot of it is going to be on kind of handshake deals. And you're just going to have to try to find people you trust and build good long-term business relationships. Obviously, that's the same thing uh, in everywhere you do business. You want to build long-term relationships. But especially in China because you really don't have any protection whatsoever of contracts because they're just incredibly difficult to enforce. Um, and then also, on top of that, kind of related, is IP theft, intellectual property. This is something that has been discussed to death, uh, from smartphones to just everything. All tech has been essentially stolen from the US and Europe uh, that China has right now. You know, IP theft is very common, and like contracts, you will have a very hard time getting the Chinese government, getting their judicial system to enforce IP protection laws. In fact, it's, it's kind of well known that the Chinese government turns a blind eye to IP theft and almost borderline encourages it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say they encourage it, but they almost kind of do. Uh, and they just don't care. They don't care about your IP. They don't care about you, a foreign company. They care about their companies first, and so if their companies can benefit from your intellectual property, and that means that they have to turn a blind eye, that's what they're gonna do. So you're gonna wanna be very careful with any valuable information that you give to Chinese business partners, because they could take that information and start their very own business with it doing exactly what you do, except they're based out of China, so it's gonna be easier for them to operate, and they're gonna be able to outcompete you. And there's gonna be nothing you can do about it in Chinese courts. So you have to keep that in mind. It's very much done on handshake deals, and any IP you have, it's almost like you have to presume that any specific information you give them is going to be stolen. So just be very wary of any information that you give out. And like I said, they're a totalitarian government. They're very protectionist. And they're always, always, always going to side on their own people's behalf over foreigners. And especially, like I said, now with the political climate between the U.S. and China, this the tensions are kind of increasing and doing business in China is probably going to get more difficult and they're probably going to care even less about American companies, uh, contracts, and IP in China. So just keep that in mind. Okay, let's take a look at India then. So India, they are getting much better as far as ease of doing business. Before, it was hard to do business, probably 10 years ago. It was very difficult, tons of regulation, tons of barriers to entry in India. But now, I mean, the current Prime Minister, Modi, has done a very, very good job. He's very pro-business. His whole The whole current 
uh, administration in China or in India is very pro-business, especially foreign business. You know, they want these foreign companies to bring their money into India. Uh, they want to employ obviously india has 1.6 billion people so those people need to be employed and they want foreign companies to come in and bring their money and start paying their people so they've greatly greatly reduced the amount of regulation and hurdles that foreign businesses in india used to face uh india just so everyone knows is a parliamentary republic which basically means they kind of it's a very similar government to like what the uk or uh you know just a lot of countries in 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 europe have so this means that their people are much more free they're very much more democratic than china they're not a totalitarian government at all and uh in addition they also actually follow ip laws and they enforce contracts unlike china so you can be a little more secure but i will say the indian judicial system is famously slow and bogged down because their country is so big so even if they do enforce contract laws and ip laws it can take years before you see your day in court uh to if you're challenging some indian person on it so it's kind of even though they respect those laws it's just the matter of fact is that their judicial system is so bogged down that good luck trying to uh get through it essentially so both countries i would be very wary of ip and very wary of contracts and not rely on those contracts it's very much both countries you're going to want to do handshake deals and just build strong partnerships with people who you think you can trust so that's the regulation side of both countries now let's talk about the other major pillar and then we'll wrap this up um and that is infrastructure so on this front china is ahead very ahead obviously they're one of the world's largest manufacturer of goods you know everything is made in china these days right so that means that to to have that they have a great system of roads and ports and airports etc they have all of this and more so their infrastructure is very very good which means that you can expect the same level of convenience in china as you would in the us or europe when it comes to transporting goods and moving around very quickly china has that very much down india however uh that's not the case india the major cities in india have made big strides but everywhere else and especially the infrastructure that connects the big cities is poor you know india's roads outside of their big cities are often damaged difficult to navigate a lot of times they're completely jammed with traffic because there's just so many people and they don't have enough roads they don't even have they don't have enough roads that exist where they desperately need them a lot of times uh so moving goods from one place to another in india is not always easy nor is it cheap so they're getting better all the time they're constantly improving but they're still very far behind china and the rest of the world when it comes to infrastructure so you have to keep that in mind especially if you're dealing with physical products in india know that you will face uh shipping and transportation challenges when it comes to that in india but again that's kind of the opportunity to this is going to get a lot better so if you can deal with it now when the infrastructure is much better say 5 to 10 years down the road you will be a master of the domain the last thing that i wanted to discuss that's kind of related to traditional infrastructure is digital infrastructure 
um, meaning how much of, like, for example, India, do they have broadband, high-speed internet? Uh, which the answer is that all of the major cities and then a lot of the smaller ones too, it's just kind of in the rural areas where they still don't have uh, full internet connections yet. But I think that will be solved within a few years. And then China, uh, they have massive internet uh, abundance. In fact, I would say that China's digital infrastructure is arguably more advanced than the Western world. Their lives revolve around wechat um the payment i mean wechat is like i can't even explain wechat for people who have not used it or experienced it it's like a messenger app that does everything for you i mean their lives are in wechat they pay for groceries with it they do their banking with it they talk to people with it it's their major social media it's like everything wrapped into one uh people don't even pay with cash in china anymore and they do more e-commerce revenue in china now than the u.s does so i would say that uh, on the digital infrastructure front there's nothing to worry about in china and then in india uh they'll be Pretty much 100% internet access, I think, within a few years. The main thing that you need to know as far as digital infrastructure goes with these countries is both have a very protectionist standpoint on their people's data. They do not want the data leaving the country. They Both countries require that data be stored, users' data be stored uh, locally on servers within their country. They don't want that data leaving. They think that it's very valuable. They know it's very valuable. So that's the only thing. You need to make sure that you're navigating their uh, data and privacy laws very accurately because if you don't, then you could find yourself in trouble and barred from doing business in their country. They take this very very seriously in both india and china so it's just something to keep in mind uh, make sure you do not break any of their data privacy laws all right that's it for today guys i hope you found this episode helpful especially if you are considering expanding into those countries or at least wanted to understand a little bit about what it takes to get into them and again i don't mean to sound negative at all i was just trying to tell you kind of some of the uh, challenges that you can expect to face when you enter these countries. But obviously, the big thing is the opportunity that's there. It's not going to be easy, but if you succeed, the opportunity is massive. That's really the main point. But I wanted to just discuss really what it takes because I think a lot of people don't know, and I hope this clear things up. So if you found this useful, please, please share it with someone else who you think would also find it useful or is curious about selling internationally uh, in India and China. And uh, yeah, if you enjoyed, leave us a rating on iTunes, share it with people who you think would also enjoy it. And other than that, I will see you next week, guys. And thank you so much for listening.